Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, November 2nd, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Heading into the U.S. general election tomorrow, a refresher on why polls can be unreliable and how to read them responsibly. An opportunity to own the vintage spyware gadgets of your dreams. It's 2020, platypus glow in the dark now. And a new site that will distract you from the election. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Tomorrow is election day here in the U.S., and while we never really have all of the votes counted by the end of election night, that will be especially true this year, as so many more mail-in ballots will need to be tabulated, meaning it could be several days or even a few weeks before we have a firm result. And given that, you are likely to be hearing a lot about polling data. So I thought it was worth taking a minute to remind ourselves why it's always good to be wary about poll numbers. The MIT Technology Review had a great article over the weekend breaking down some of this, but it was actually more largely about a 2014 peer-reviewed study that depended on bad data and has completely informed most of the arguments that you hear about voter fraud these days. And I'm not going to get into that side of the piece here, but if it is intriguing to you, I highly recommend giving it a read. Link in the show notes. Also, if you are sick of hearing about election stuff, don't worry. Like I said at the top of the show, I have a election distractor site recommendation for you at the end of the show. So just stick around for that. But for now, polls and the problems they present. So many polls are conducted via phone, some of them still calling landlines, and this sets the polls up for a number of problems. Less and less people pick up the phone for a number that they don't recognize these days, and based purely on my own speculation here, I would hazard a guess that the people who answer a phone not in their caller ID are typically older and maybe have some type of job or family situation that requires them to be more responsive to unknown calls. A 2016 article in the Harvard Business Review notes that women are more likely to pick up the phone than men, and that black Americans are less likely to answer survey questions than white Americans. So some of these inconsistencies in the types of people who respond can be and usually are accounted for, when they can be. The same article notes that weighting techniques can be used to account for a lack of respondents represented by demographic points that are objectively known from things like census data, so in other words, race, ethnicity, age, and gender. But things like political leanings or religion aren't as concretely known, and so even if a pollster is able to determine that, say, for example, Democrats or evangelicals as a pattern answer the phone less than other groups— They can't accurately weight that because they don't really have the concrete data of how many Democrats or evangelicals live in the area that they're polling, at least not in as much of an assured way that they do with the census data. So yes, they could say that a pattern of non-response exists, but how much to weight that pattern by, they can't say for certain. But even for the factors that they can weight, it can still go awry. Quoting the MIT Technology Review, One 2016 presidential poll conducted by the University of Southern California and the LA Times recruited 3,000 respondents from across America, including a young black man living in the Midwest who turned out to be a Trump supporter. Because he represented several harder-to-reach categories, young, minority, male, 
his responses were dramatically over-indexed. This ended up throwing the numbers off. At one point, the survey estimated Trump's support among black voters at 20%, largely on the basis of this one man's responses. A post-election analysis put that number at 6%, end quote. And this weighting is also both helpful and delicate when it comes to the fact that many people who answer polls aren't necessarily going to show up to vote. So pollsters also need to weight responses against demographic data for who actually votes. Pollsters use a combination of data and questions to assess who is a likely voter, but it doesn't always work. One of the biggest indicators is past voting behavior, but for elections like 2008, or if early voting numbers are any indication, this year, a lot of people are voting for the first time in a long time or ever. And on the flip side, there's also people who lie about having voted when they actually haven't, and that can seriously skew the data. And another factor is that calls are made at a time convenient to the pollster, not the respondents, probably during business hours, further limiting how many people might respond or how long they'll stay on the call if there are too many questions. Conducting polls via online surveys solves some of these issues, but not all of them. People often have to be motivated to fill them out by being offered something like e-gift cards in exchange for completing the survey. And pollsters have to be careful how to word questions to avoid bias. Stephen Ansolabi here, a government professor at Harvard and principal investigator of the Cooperative Congressional Election Study, says when conducting polls, his team tries to be as literal and descriptive as possible without using too many adjectives. And if they're asking about a bill that has a fairly biased title, they don't use that bill's name. And then, of course, there is the final nail in the coffin— Media outlets taking the most extreme findings from polls and blasting them out in headlines that make no reference to margins of error, weighting techniques, or general methodology. Now, all of that said, polls can be kind of helpful, and if you want to follow them more responsibly or fact-check anything that you hear, I personally recommend RealClearPolitics.com. They aggregate the latest polling data for all races and topics that polling data exists for, so you can compare it yourself and read the fine print from each poll. For example, in the last 24 hours, there's been polling data posted for the presidential election nationally and from major swing states, as well as the House and Senate races, all with direct links to the polling data from places like Monmouth, Rasmussen, Reuters, etc. It's very easy to compare and contrast and to get a fuller picture of the data. And one last thing on this note of keeping our heads straight for the coming days of heightened stress in our headlines— I want to shout out a quick link from Kotki.org that explains both in words and visually why election maps are misleading. The TLDR is because people vote, not land. But there's a lot more to it regarding color and other perceptual illusions. Even if you're familiar with the general concept, it's worth checking out as a refresher as we head into several days of nonstop maps in our news coverage. And it's just another one of the New York Times' really nicely designed interactive pages, which I'm personally always a fan of. Links to all of that in the show notes. If you have ever wanted to own a deadly gadget from the KGB, because I know that's a common feeling, now is your chance. Or rather, February 13th, 2021 will be your chance. That is when Julian's Auctions is selling the entire collection of New York City's KGB Museum, which has sadly closed its doors as a result of the pandemic. 
The auction will be held in Beverly Hills, California, and live online, so you can get involved no matter where you live, although I'm sure most of these will be being sold for quite a pretty penny. Quoting Julian's auctions, Over 400 lots will be on offer, such as clandestine operative cameras, counterintelligence detectors, Morse code machines, airplane radars, voice recorders, and official government documents. Special highlights include a gun designed to look like a tube of lipstick, a secret hotel room listening device or bug from 1964, a rare Soviet version of the Enigma code cipher machine known as the Fialka, a replica of the deadly syringe umbrella believed to have been used to carry out the assassination of Bulgarian author Georgi Markov, a vintage 1,000-pound carved stone sculpture of Soviet leader Vladimir Lenin that stood in the headquarters of the KGB, a purse with a hidden camera and shutter apparatus, a machine used by border guards to detect people hiding in vehicles, a German World War II phone tap device, an original steel door from a former KGB prison hospital, a unique portable wire recording machine, and a vintage railroad infected area warning sign. End quote. The auction also includes items from the Cuban Revolution, including Che Guevara's high school report card. An Atlas Obscura notes that while a lot of the items seem kind of like fun Hollywood prop gadgets, there's of course a darker history here, which is more apparent in some items versus others, like the human heartbeat detection device that was used to determine if people were hiding inside of cars at checkpoints. I mean, the whole thing is fairly sinister, if we're being honest and stop to think for a minute, and it is a bummer that the museum is closing. I guess the best case scenario would be if most of the items get picked up by other museums so that we can continue to use them as educational tools, rather than just a fun thing to show off in some dude's home collection. Although that infected area sign really could come in handy these days. The semi-aquatic egg-laying duck-billed platypus is the only remaining member of its family and genus, so it already stands out as being pretty weird compared to the rest of the living animals that we're used to. But scientists have just discovered another weird thing about the platypus. When exposed to ultraviolet light, its fur glows in the dark. The team of scientists who published their findings recently in the journal Mammalia decided to test for biofluorescence in platypus after discovering that the fur of the New World flying squirrels glowed pink under black light, and they wanted to see how far in the mammalian tree this biofluorescence went. Quoting Vice, Biofluorescence occurs when animals absorb short wavelengths of light and re-emit longer wavelengths, causing a shift in color. It's distinct from bioluminescence, which is the biological ability to independently generate light from chemical reactions. This fluorescent glow has been observed in birds, insects, marine life, and plants, but it had only been seen previously in two mammal families, opossums and flying squirrels. As a result of the apparent rareness of biofluorescent mammals, there hasn't been much of an effort to seek them out. Until now. End quote. As a result of this study, it's thought that the trait could possibly be more widespread in mammals than previously believed. The researchers also note that the biofluorescence was the same in the male and female specimens they studied, indicating that it's not a sexually dimorphic trait and most likely, therefore, not useful for sexual selection but perhaps could be used to hide from UV-sensitive predators. 
Further studies with a larger sample size and being done out in the field as opposed to with museum specimens would need to be conducted to glean more information, however. Regardless, very interesting and cool, and honestly, I feel like maybe we shouldn't be surprised since the platypus was already so weird to begin with. A lot of people are rightfully stressed out by the election this week, and short of last-minute voter outreach, there's not a ton that we can do at this point but wait. So if you need a break from refreshing feeds and watching the news, the New York Times is here to help with, honestly, one of the more creative projects I've seen them develop in a long time. It's called The Election Distractor, and it's kind of like a TV with different soothing, interesting, or uplifting channels to take your mind off the pressing news of the day. When you go to the site, link in the show notes, you have to input your age and say if you've voted before you are allowed to enter. There's also an option that says your circumstances don't allow you to vote, and if you click that or if you say you're under 18, you get access to the site regardless. But if you admit that you have not voted, it says goodbye and then connects you to an article about how to vote. And once you are in, you're met with a full-screen video player and just a few simple buttons. A next button to change the channels, a volume toggle, and for most channels, either a source or a link to watch the whole video of the clip that you're getting to see there. Some of the channels include reassuring news about COVID-19 from a New York Times correspondent, videos about nature and animals, a digital stress ball, soothing loops of things like candles melting, videos about space, and here's the one that I was really impressed and frankly surprised by that this actually came from the New York Times themselves. There's a channel called Michael Barbaro Reacts which has a photo of the host of the New York Times podcast, The Daily, Michael Barbaro, being presented with photos of random objects, and it plays some of his mm-hmm responses from when he's interviewing people as if in response to the photos of the objects. It's great. You just got to check it out to get it. So when the election news gets to be too much, boot up the election distractor and learn some stuff about space and insects or have a good-natured laugh at Michael Barbaro. We're in for the long haul anyways, so take the time when you need it. That is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go stick my hand inside my UV light sanitizing box and try to see if my hair glows in the dark. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, 
You impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.